Good morning, Merry Christmas, happy third week in Advent, hope you're staying warm this week, Um, and comments are running about 70-30 on my tie in favor. If you feel uh, the need to comment, I just want to encourage you to go ahead and send uh, your remarks uh, directly to my wonderful wife who bought the tie, and you can uh, let her know uh, post-haste. Well, occasionally we find ourselves in a situation and, and we wonder, how, how exactly did I get here? Like, what was I thinking when I made the decisions that led me to be here? And, of course, when we actually do the post-mortem, we realize, well, I wasn't thinking when I made the decisions that led me to be there. Had I been thinking, I wouldn't have made the, those same decisions. We had... Uh, I had a similar experience just a few weeks ago on Thanksgiving Day. We invited some neighbors and friends over, and as we do on Thanksgiving, overate during the meal, went right into dessert, overate during the dessert, and then uh, sort of moved into the living room. And at some point, about 10 minutes after we were there, uh, a wrestling match broke out between my three sons, which is not atypical. They're not all together uh, because they're spread out, but now that they're together, it's not that uncommon that a wrestling match would break out. What was uncommon is that after a couple minutes, when the two older ones were just torturing the younger one, I jumped into the wrestling match. And I would love to tell you that this was just like the days of old, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when I could dominate the wrestling matches, but no... I quickly ended up on the bottom of the pile. And I did not want to be on the bottom of the pile having just overeaten, right? I mean, the last place I wanted to be is on the floor with 500 pounds on top of me. And so I found myself wondering, what were you thinking when you jumped into this wrestling match, you had, had you thought for a second, you would have known they would have all turned against you, and this is what would have happened. And so, there you have it. I'd like to argue today that while we're not figuratively or metaphorically at the bottom of a Thanksgiving wrestling match, we are in an odd place. Right? We, are, we are going through the month of December, which is dominated by Christmas. And all kinds of things happen during this month, many of which we cannot explain at all, right? Why red and green? Why uh, why eggnog? Why mistletoe, right? Why do, do people who work throughout the year to keep sticks and branches out of their house move a tree into the middle of their living room, right? We don't, we don't have answers for many of these questions. And I would like to suggest that we've, we've taken a little bit of a left turn here. I'd like to suggest that perhaps uh, the holiday has been hijacked, and it's worth asking, how did we get here? So I want to back up and, and read for you the, the passage that launches the Christmas celebration. This is probably the most famous Christmas passage. It comes out of Luke chapter 2. Linus reads it every year in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. You've heard it many times. Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While he was there, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This is, uh, this is the story of the birth of the Son of God. This is the, the incarnation, when in this remarkable uh, miracle, somehow, while remaining fully God, God becomes fully man. And he does this in an act of unthinkable humiliation. He becomes part of the creation He humbles himself, he lowers, empties himself in order to show up, entering time and space through a young virgin's womb in the backwaters of the Roman Empire. The whole thing is about sacrifice. And and it's it's remarkable, but it's, it's small, and it's sort of quiet, unheralded by any but the shepherds and a few angels. And somehow, from that starting point, we have gotten to where we are today. And let's take a second and watch a a brief video of where we are today. Supposedly the first led to the second. How did we get here? Why do we do the things we do during the month of December? Are they the right things to do? Do they honor Christ? If we could start over, would we design it the way it currently looks? I have three big questions for today. The first one is, how did we get here? And that is a uh, a historical question, and so I want to give you a brief history lesson uh, that, that sort of recounts three of the major turning points that have taken place between the, the birth of Christ and Christmas 2013. The, the first period would be uh, when there was no Christmas. Okay? So the earliest Christians did not celebrate the birth of Christ. From Basically, immediately after Christ's ascension, his followers began to meet on the first day of the week, on Sunday, in honor of the fact that that was when he rose from the dead. And they would gather together to to worship him. They would gather together to, to study what he taught. They would gather together to pray to him. They would gather to be baptized in his name. They would gather uh, to, to train disciples in his name. They would, they would gather to recreate the events of the Last Supper, taking the bread, his body, and the cup, his blood, into themselves. They exalted Christ from the earliest days as God. And they not only met on that first day of the week on Sunday, they also met on Saturday. They went to the temple 
on Saturday because they believed and proclaimed that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies. He was the Jewish Messiah. And, and so they, they made that case in the temple courts. If you were here last week for the Lessons in Carol service, I said, look, this is not a book of advice. It's not a collection of rules. It is principally a story. It's the story of our rescue. And like all good stories, it begins when everything is good, right? God created everything, and he saw that everything he made was good. And then something goes wrong. Sin enters the world, and everything is broken, And we read the rest of the story to figure out how it's going to turn out. Who wins? Well, in Genesis 3, right after the, the fall, as the curse is being given... A promise is made, the first promise. We call this the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first proclamation of the good news. God says he will send someone, the offspring of woman, who will defeat evil, crush evil's head. And, And that's the first of many promises that are made throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Another big turning point is in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham, if you will follow me, right, I will bless you. I will give you land, I will give you inheritance, and I will bless the world through you and your offspring. And and then we jump ahead to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, to get the understanding of what exactly was meant by that. And in Galatians 3, 16, we read Paul writing 2,000 years later, and he says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the promise made in Genesis chapter 12, right, is another foreshadowing of the arrival of the Son of God, the Savior, the Rescuer. And and as we march through the Old Testament, we have other prophecies that are given, promises, restatements of the promise, each time with a little bit more information about God's unfolding plan. And some of those we we particularly drill in on at the time of of Christmas, they're Christmas passages, like Micah 5.2, where where it says, you, Bethlehem, though you are least among all the towns of Judah, right, out of you will come one of old who will rule over Israel. Out of you will come one from the ancients. Right? It's referring to Christ. Or Isaiah chapter 7. We have, uh, we have the statement being made by the prophet Isaiah saying, right, the, the, the virgin is going to give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. There are all these prophecies that unfold throughout the Old Testament. And and so the early Christians were meeting initially in the temple to make the case that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies that had been given in the Old Testament. But they didn't celebrate the birth of Christ. They celebrated his death. Right, Passover took on a whole new meaning. But they did not celebrate the birth of Christ. And, and this went on for 300 years. There was no Christmas. 
as we know it for 300 years. And then the first big turning point, or I guess the second big epoch, is, is launched when Constantine decides to throw a party. So for 300 years, the Christians are, are, are being persecuted. To, to follow Christ meant that you could lose your job, you could lose your house, you could lose your life during that time. And so the Christians uh, don't meet publicly. They meet quietly in homes. They meet secretly at other times. Uh, and, and, and then something happens to change. Now, you need to know that during those 300 years, the, the Christian faith grew like a bad weed. I mean, it just spread everywhere. But after 300 years, uh, Constantine, a Roman general, is victorious in a, in a battle and sort of a little bit of a civil uh, war between some other generals in, in Rome. And he becomes the, the, the emperor of Rome. And he believed that he was given this victory by the Christian God. He, he had a vision that he was to, to conquer under the sign of the cross. And he believes that, 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 that God, that Christ, has empowered him. And so... Constantine not only comes to faith, but he issues an edict of toleration, which means it's no longer illegal to be a Christ follower. As a matter of fact, he has all his soldiers baptized. Now, famously, he does not have their right arms baptized. When they go under, they're to keep their right arms out of the water because that's their sword arm. He wants that to be as pagan as possible. History is always a little bit more complicated than we might like. But he has his soldiers baptized. And then he additionally does some other things. He he is the one who um, who will convene the first church council. And, and he's having his palace built in what is now called Istanbul. At the time, it was called Constantinople after him, Constantine. But he's, he can't meet there, but he has everybody gather in his little summer villa in Nicaea. And that is where the, the Nicene Creed is pulled together. This is the first time the leaders of the church can meet together. Dan Brown and others will suggest that this is when Jesus was promoted to God, that nobody thought Jesus was God before the Council of Nicaea. I mean, all you got to do is read what was written between 60 A.D., when the first books of the Bible begin to come together, and 300 A.D. to see that everybody was declaring that Jesus was God during that period of time. Dan Brown doesn't understand that, but that's in fact what was happening. Nicaea is just where they actually got to meet together publicly and to craft one of the first creeds. That happens under Constantine's watch. And another thing is that he wants to throw a party for Christ. He has political reasons in addition to whatever spiritual reasons he was feeling. He wants to unify his kingdom. He wants to unify it with a common faith. He wants to get rid of the pagan faiths. And there were a lot of pagan festivals happening at the winter solstice. Okay, the shortest day of the year, December 20th. There's all these festivals. And Constantine says, we're going to have our own party then. And we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ then. And he throws the party and it spreads. And as the church spreads, the, the birthday of Christ spreads throughout the, the globe. Before that, nobody was celebrating the birth of Christ. As a matter of fact, nobody knew when Christ was born. Right? We're 300 years into this. 
before someone says, let's make this party for Jesus. Nobody knows when Jesus was born. And Luke tells us in Luke 2 verse 8 that, that uh, the shepherds were out in their fields at night when the angels showed up to announce that, that Jesus had been born. That means it was uh, almost certainly not December because it was too cold in December for the sheep to be out at night. So we don't know the date that Christ was born. Constantine marks it. And by the way, it wasn't just that we didn't know the date. Before Constantine, there, was, there were arguments that said we should not celebrate the birth of Christ. Some of the early church leaders said, look, the, the high water mark around Christ is not his birth, it's his death. That's what we need to focus on. It's his death and resurrection. And, and additionally, they, they studied the Bible and they said, you know, we only got... We only find two birthdays noted in the Bible, Herod and Pharaoh, and they're two bad guys, right? So obviously celebrating somebody's birthday is a bad idea. And when the early church began to, to set aside days to recognize their heroes, it was initially all martyrs. And so they weren't celebrating the day they were born, they were celebrating the day they died. Or occasionally they would celebrate the day they were born again. The day they had repented of their sin and come to faith in Christ. Or they would celebrate the day that they were baptized. So people weren't celebrating birthdays for a long time when Constantine said, we need a party. And he decided to throw a party for Christ. And it began to spread uh, around the world. So that was the, those are the first two periods that we have. We've got, we've got no Christmas, and then we've got Constantine deciding that he wants to throw a Christmas party. And it spreads throughout the world, but you should know that as it spreads, it goes in a variety of different directions. For starters, there, there was not agreement around the specific date. And if you look to the Orthodox churches... Okay, capital O Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. They follow a different calendar, an older Julian calendar. Christmas for many of them is on January 7th. And, uh, and then it's not just that there's a different day. There's very different celebrations. If you look um, to Ethiopia, right, um, they, have a, a, they have a Christmas service that begins at 4 o'clock in the morning, where everyone puts on white robes to show up uh, at the service. Now, throughout Africa, everybody has a worship service on, on Christmas morning. I have come to learn, as a pastor of a church where we have uh, African students coming to study at Trinity, that if they, they show up, it would, it's in my best interest to get to them early and to say, by the way, uh, we don't actually have a service on Christmas morning. And they're like, what? I, we don't have a service on Christmas morning. You don't celebrate Christmas? Well, we celebrate it, but we just don't celebrate it on Christmas morning. Well, what do you do on Christmas morning? Why would you not be at church? Well, we're sort of opening presents that we give to each other, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of hard to explain this. They're scandalized. You don't have church on Christmas morning. Well, if it's a Sunday, we do. But otherwise, no, we're not there. Um, in Ethiopia, it's 4 o'clock in the morning that they gather together. And then in the afternoon, they play field hockey. Right? I mean, a completely different tradition. 
You look into other countries, and, um, and you see that, that the, in India, um, on the Philippines, they, they do something interesting. They, they have uh, parties that are actually nine days long. They'll have nine early uh, daybreak worship services, and they will often light torches in the night uh, along straight pathways. And they are doing this very specifically uh, to drill down on the, the, the idea that comes out of Isaiah 40, right, that, that we are to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, right, make straight the pathways. John the Baptist picks up on this in Luke chapter 3, and uh, he says there that a voice of one, he's a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. So in the old periods, when a king or somebody important was coming into town, advanced parties would go out ahead of, of that king and would, would fill in the potholes and would straighten the roads and would do everything they could to make it a straight, easy path for the king to travel down. And so in Isaiah 40, we have a reference to this. Prepare your own heart. Make straight pathways for God to show up. And then John the Baptist will, will sort of hold on. He will leverage that imagery as he's the one that is coming before to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ. And so in the Philippines, they will often line their roads, these straight pathways, with torches to say, here, here we are. Uh, we have prepared for the advent of Christ. In India, um, it's not a big celebration there because only 3% of the population are Christian, but they decorate mango trees with ornaments. Um, and they often put lights on their roofs, uh, oil lamps to celebrate that Jesus is the light of the world. In Russia, there's a lot of fasting that goes on. And these fasts are broke with the rice porridge. And then you move to the big meal, which is heavy on sauerkraut, right? Who knew? Um, not everyone is celebrating Christmas in the same way. The path that we have taken, again, candy canes and an and, uh, and overweight elf who's, you know, got better intelligence than the NSA and, and Christmas trees and all of that stuff. The path that we took uh, has led us to the celebration that we have. And, and I would suggest that increasingly our Christmas has been informed by, um, by, by Mr. Wall Street and by Mr. Walmart. Right? That, that we have moved a bit away from Advent uh, into Christmas and from Christmas to happy holidays, and from happy holidays to a real focus on shopping. Uh, it's about presents. And yes, sure, we can get to presents out of the biblical story. The, the wise men gave Jesus presents. There's a biblical precedent for giving presents at Christmas. But, I mean, that's a desperate reach. Uh, let's just acknowledge that, uh, that, that in God's providential hand, Mary and Joseph are given 
the means of supporting and caring for Jesus when they have to flee to Egypt. Remember, the, the angel will come to Joseph in a dream at night and say, you've got to get the, the baby, and, and you've got to get your wife, and you've got to get out because Herod is coming to kill this child. And so they have, uh, they're poor, but they now have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They have the ability to fund a trip and to go for an extended stay in a foreign land. Right? Joseph could buy tools and work as a carpenter. We don't know how long they are, they're there. But, but clearly part of the reason for the gift giving was, was God's unfolding plan to care for his son. And, oh, by the way, the gifts that were given in that first Christmas were actually given to the one whose birthday was being celebrated. Not, let's just give gifts to everybody. And what I read about yesterday for the first time, that the new Christmas tradition is to buy yourself a gift. Uh, so, you know, that's a little bit of a left turn. And I, I, would, I would suggest that it's possible that the, that the bigger threat to the Christian faith today is not, you know, strident atheism or radical Islam. It might just be consumerism. It might just be an increasingly sort of toxic mix of, of consumerism and capitalism and this idea that we're going to fill the hole in our heart with stuff. And to that end, let's watch a, another very brief video clip. I am my car. I am my clothes. I am my bank account. I am my house. I obey my thirst. I have it my way. I just do it. I deserve a break today. I double my pleasure, double my fun. I live the high life because I'm worth it. I'm looking out for number one. I wait for nothing. I have a million choices. I get what I want. I do what's best for me. I spend my time where I want to spend it. No one wastes it but me. I have the world at my fingertips. If it doesn't work, I'll throw it out and get a new one. If I'm uncomfortable, I leave. There's another place just down the street. If I'm unhappy, I'm missing something. I find it. I buy it. If I want it, I get it. I accumulate. I collect. I acquire. I take. I use. I devour. I consume. I am not the center of the universe, but I'm the center of mine. I want to know what's in it for me. I want to know what I get out of it. I'm here to find happiness. I live for comfort. I exist to be served. The world exists to serve me. I am the customer. The customer is king. I am king. As I said, we live in an in an increasingly curious age and are shaped by all kinds of things that we probably just need to be a little bit more aware of the pressure they are exerting on us. Now, please hear me. There is nothing wrong with giving gifts to people that you love. And in fact, there's a whole lot that seems right about it. And to to link this to God's love and his gift to us seems like the best reason or the best justification we're going to ever be able to come up with to give gifts. I sort of like the idea that the, the, the biggest global party is at least ostensibly tied to the birth of Jesus Christ. But I'm suggesting that the holiday has been hijacked just a bit. Uh, it now feels like we tack Jesus on to something that is really not often about him. And even beyond that, 
I think it's possible that some of the ways that we celebrate Christmas, um, it's not just that Jesus is being tacked on, it's that Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with it, right? At some point, it would be like, that's not a party I want to go to. And so I want to set in front of you, maybe we ought to think about this a little bit differently. Again, I'm not, don't hear that I'm being a killjoy, Scrooge, the Grinch. I'm not trying to stop Christmas at all. But I do think we could make some course corrections. And I think it actually would be for everybody's best. At the beginning of the service, you were asked to think about the most meaningful gift you got. Now, I think there's some passion behind the answers that I heard. My guess is is that some of you went down a list that said, wow, I can't think of any gift that I've gotten. If I were to ask you to name five presents that you got last year, you might be able to come up with one. Um, If you thought of something right out of the gate, it may be what you gave to somebody rather than what you received. I mean, that... And probably, whatever the gift was, the money behind it was, the, was insignificant to the meaning of that gift. I, I just want to suggest that I think that the, the folks that have given us the Advent Conspiracy are on to something when they say, worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. To think differently about Christmas. When I was working on this message, I went back and sort of rehearsed the, the, the things that I can think of. All my Christmas memories, right? There's not that many, right? They all sort of blend together. I can remember being in the back of the car on the way on a Christmas Eve when it was snowing to go to my aunt's, and I was very excited because we were going to open presents. I can remember a Christmas when I was probably seven or eight where the tree was just full, crammed full of presents. There's five kids. I'm the oldest. My dad got a bonus, a big bonus that year. And I remember hearing both my mom and my dad saying, never again, right? This is out of control. And I remember thinking, no, don't say that. More (laughs) presents next year. I remember asking my dad probably around that same time what he was excited about getting, what gift he wanted to get. And he said, you know, I don't really, I'm not looking forward to getting anything. It's, it's not about getting, it's about giving presents. That's what I'm excited about. And I remember thinking, you do not understand what Christmas is about. It's about getting gifts, right? I, I, I have then a different set of memories after coming to faith in Christ, going to my parents Uh, my senior year in high school and saying, for Christmas Eve, I'd actually like to not be with the family the whole time. I want to go to this service at this church because it seems like that's what we ought to do. We didn't go to church on Christmas Eve. And I remember that. And then I, as a pastor, I have a, a different set of experiences suddenly cluing into the fact that Christmas was not only not the best time for many people, it was the worst time of year. For many people, and the stress levels that were, the, and the and the domestic violence that was happening, and just a completely different look at what was going on around Christmas, and thinking, how did we get here? How would this be the celebration of Christ's birth, causing this kind of angst and pain? This clearly can't be what what God wants. 
And then um, I remember a conversation I had in my office a few years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, where somebody came in and I was leading this foundation. We were funding uh, PhD programs for men and women from Africa, Asia, Latin America to study here, provided they had senior level leadership positions back in their home country. And this person came in and said, I, I heard about your group. He says, I just want you to know we met this family, this couple, and they are doing unbelievable things in the northern part of India. And, and we have just, we have cut back our budget. We are giving up Christmas. We're doing everything we can to support them. She's a doctor. He's a veterinarian. They could be making plenty of money. They're living in poverty situations. But the stuff they're doing is amazing. And, and we have given all the money we can to them. Please support them. And I remember thinking, wow, you have no Christmas in order to support this family. And by the way, just as an aside, we, Christ Church, supports this group. We supported this family. They got this, we funded his PhD. He went back to northern India, became the president of a denomination, a major denomination in India almost right away. Seven Bible colleges, like five hospitals, orphanages, schools, you know, a thousand churches. I mean, I mean, he's hitting the cover off the ball. I mean, it's very exciting. And, and it came out of that. It came out of that person saying, this is what we want to do with Christmas. And, and that moved me. And so I, I realized I just can't keep giving my parents meaningless sweaters and more golf balls. And, you know, I just, I'm not going to do it. They don't need it. They, who cares? And so we started just in little ways. I would say, you know what, Dad, I, instead of giving you a present, I bought books for a, for a math student over in India, uh, and it's in your name. So that, that he's, he, he got your Christmas present. Uh, I bought a goat for a kid in, in this little village, and it's going to give milk to the whole family. We, we, we're digging a well this year in, uh, in a town in, in a village in Africa, and, and you're helping to fund it, right? And, those, and, and then to, to, do, to be creative— on creating memories and giving gifts or, or to do things with less money in order to do those things. And then last year, Austin, back from the, not even finished with the Peace Corps, but he was back for Christmas, and he gave all of us um, gift certificates with Kiva, which allowed us to, uh, to go in and to make loans, to, mostly to women who are trying to get jobs going, to buy sewing machines or some sort of entrepreneurial venture. Small amounts, but we would make these microloans to them, and then as the money is, they pay it off, then we'd have the money to loan to other people, right? And, and Christmas began to change for us. And, and that's sort of at the heart of this Advent conspiracy, so we're not asking, let me be clear, we're not asking that you, that you not give presents to people you love. But we're saying maybe you give presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, more than presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Maybe you think differently about the kinds of things that you give. And, and that you take the money that you save and you give it to people who have real demonstrable needs. And there's lots of ways you could do that, but as a church, we're focusing on this village in Ghana, Kuve, Ghana, where we're digging, we're creating a well, uh, we're building a school, uh, we're doing other things, and we're saying, hey, worship fully, spend less on people that aren't going to even miss it, give more, 
Give more of yourself. Give more to people who need it. And love all. That's the theme behind the Advent Conspiracy. And um, so, invite you to think differently about our celebration of the birth of the Son of God. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your great gift to us. The gift of your Son and a chance for forgiveness and eternal life. May uh, our celebration of the birth of your Son, the incarnation, most amazing act of humiliation and love on your part, may, may our celebration of that increasingly be guided and informed and shaped by the life, the teaching, the work of Christ. To that end we pray. Amen.